And we are recording with the one and only Mr. Roger Williams, who's wearing a blue shirt, but not nearly as blue as I am, as I am the bluest boy there is. <laughs> I don't have the overhead lights on. I just have the blue lights on. I don't give a shit. I like these. These are very soft on my eyes. Um, But I don't think we've done a curator's reading for a minute. Roger Williams, the author of my favorite book, The Metamorphosis of Prime Intellect, the only book to ever step over the threshold of the singularity. And what exactly do you do when you catch the bone, the technological nirvana? Mm-hmm. And it's horrifying. When the whole human race is the dog that caught the car. And indeed, it doesn't know what to do with it, <laughs> except go insane, which is what I would argue is probably the most probable outcome. But it's why it's my favorite is because I never even thought of it until I read your book. Every book is always about. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Getting to it. Can it happen? Will it happen? Facilitate it. No one's ever like, what do we do when we get it? It's just... It's yeah. It was debating whether or not we can get into orbit, and then we went to orbit, and it's like now what? <laughs> it happened, and everyone lived happily ever the after the end. Not, but uh, not at all. But um, yeah, Roger's book available on Lulu and Amazon. Same price. Roger gets more money on Lulu, and if you hate Roger, buy it on Amazon, and he'll get less money. If you want to punish him, I don't know why you'd want to punish him, but if you want to do that, you can do that. Or if you just want to suck off Bezos, you can buy it on Amazon. Um, but. With that, Roger, it's been a minute. You've already been on here. You were the first guest in the new apartment, but um, the first curate, a lot of firsts, yeah. But the you, first curator's reading in the new, uh, in the new uh, tanning bed yeah. studio. Yeah, you've you've done a little fixing up since uh, our episode. I see, uh, spiffed it up a little since then. Got your flag up, and uh, okay, so it's looking good. Thank you. Blue and spiffy. Got your uh, your EL wire there. I think is what that is. I don't know what it is, but it glows, and I like it. And it uh, it acts as a space heater, which I don't like because oh, I don't like the heat. Not that bad. The uh, where it plugs in, the 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 fucking the power supply. They get a little harder than normal, which I guess is expected for for made in China. Yeah, well, that stuff uses a couple of hundred volts AC. I think it's. Uh... Yeah, like I said, I have a little bag of it that I picked up for ten cents on the dollar from Radio Shack when they went out of business. I had some of, uh, I had one of the strands wrapped around the magnet. Yeah, uh, on our our other uh, talk. So, uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, it's cool. Uh, cool look. Uh, Thank you. It's a uh, think like I explained last time how the dryer turns my apartment into a sauna. Yes. It's fine. I just got to open the window. If I open the windows, it just it, it it's equilibrium immediately, and it's fine. But yeah, I don't want to test the uh, the moisture resistance of all the very expensive shit I have in this room. <laughs> so I keep that door sealed shut, sealed the fuck shut when I'm doing laundry. But because of that, I don't know how much airflow I get through here. So it kind of heats yeah. up in here. I'm still learning at the. I'm still learning the the kinks of the spaceship that is this apartment. I'm just one person like alone in intergalactic space. And I'm just like, 
tightening screws here and like pulling the lever there and i'm figuring it all out i think i'm figuring it out but... and it's going to be constantly changing because winter is coming and so it's going to start getting colder and colder well that's the thing is and then it gets to like a weird thing where i'm like i love the cold but now that i'm in maine i'm like oh this is like it's real cold, cold. This, is, this isn't like maryland cold where it's like i like the cold it's like oh welcome to the tundra like <laughs> you know and so now I'm like, keep the windows open. And I'm like, well, fuck, I don't know how long I should keep these open because I can hear like things creaking as it gets cold. Well, part of part of it is probably a little bit like New Orleans, even though you wouldn't think it get, it doesn't get that cold and raw numbers in New Orleans. I've had people from Chicago complain about cold here because of the water. Oh, yeah. Because we're surrounded by water and you're on the ocean. Yeah. I mean, so, my dad's from my dad's from northern northern New Hampshire, and he still says the coldest he'd ever been was uh in New York one winter, just because of the the moisture. Yeah, the lake effect and all that. Yeah. So, um, all right. So, uh, we have four readings, which are each six of the original episodes, scheduled for book three of the curators, Ooh. each of which features an attempt to destroy a planet. And they get progressively more uh, impressive as the book progresses. A nice parallel to uh, our current situation, as we seem to mm -hmm. really, we really seem to be going for it. 2022 is, <laughs> we got it this time. We got close in 62, a little closer in 2001. It's like, we're going to really go for it now. We're really trying to cook this whole fucking place. Working on it. Yeah. Hey, so. got good old college try. Yeah. Also, you have heard some of this before, because this is where I start having the little passages where Andrew opens some of the stories by relating his past experiences okay. as he was watching the human race develop our, our civilization. Okay. So now you'll get to hear that in context, as okay. I originally put it in uh, along with the story and, and the little chunks with story around it. Hell yeah. So, let's do anyway, it. Anyway, all right, so let's do it. So I'll rearrange my windows here. We'll put you there. And the web browser here. And boom. Okay. This will be your part 16. Uh, for Tommy's podcast. This is book three, part one, as it was originally published on Reddit. And it begins 60,000 years ago. I was born into a tribe of nomadic hunter gatherers. They had a rich technology, but it lay in the fashioning of stone points and spears and mastery of the atlatl. My people had not yet invented the bow as a hunting weapon, but they did use it to start fires. And they lived by numbers. They counted the days. They counted years. They counted lunar cycles. And they re reckoned the passing of the seasons with a precision that would astonish a modern human. They reckoned our age in months rather than years. And I was 55 moons old when the big cat snatched me from the campfire. My tribe had well-made torches and they fearlessly set out after me. But the cat's teeth were buried deep in my flesh. The cat did not understand this fire thing that made light in the night, and when my people caught it up, it dropped me and ran into the darkness that it had been expecting. My people brought me back to the camp, and the shaman did what he could, and my parents and wailed prayers to the gods. 
that they thought might be listening, but it was obvious they had no way to fix what the animal had done to my small body. In the middle of the night, they simply left, leaving me to the wild. It would have been more merciful had they killed me themselves rather than leaving me to die alone, but I can understand why they couldn't bear to do that. My panic and terror were dissipating as I lost strength, but then, strangely, out of nowhere, I felt new strength. When my fear reasserted itself, a powerful internal voice told me, in a strange language that I strangely understood, that this was not useful. There were flashes of light that seemed to be chasing away the predators that wanted to make a meal of me, and then one of the gods my parents had taught me about came to collect me. It was an animal that stood on two legs like a human, but was fully furred and had a long snout. It scooped me up in its arms, and then everything around us disappeared and changed. From that moment on, I never lacked for any necessity of life. My people had lived in constant danger and privation. My tribe had made sure that I knew of the years when old people had to walk away into the winter dark to make sure the rest of us had enough to eat. But my new family had plenty of everything. They always had good food and clean water and could make light and warmth anywhere they needed those things. And whenever I wondered about any of it, I found that I simply knew. I found that I knew the number 201442, which was the index of the world where I had been brought to mature in safety. And I also knew the number 1742660, which was the index of the world where I had been born, and to which I would eventually return as an agent of my saviors. I found that I knew all of these worlds were arranged in the form of a spiral wheel called a galaxy, and I knew a common language which would allow me to speak to any of the residents of those worlds, who were generally not gods, but just mortal animals like myself with varying talents for technology. I was destined to be a god, though. I was being recruited to be a curator, to join those who tended the Garden of the Great Wheel and guarded its equilibrium. I remembered 18 different lifetimes lived in bodies of different form and talent. I remembered nearly a million years of experience during those lives. I remembered that emotions are dangerous and distracting, and I remembered how to suppress them when my human body insisted on distracting me. I had been given a gift my parents and my tribe could not even begin to imagine, and I was intent on using it well. It is one of the shortcuts of language that we say curators take a new host. What actually happens is we offer that host the gift of our experience, and it even occasionally happens that the gift is rejected. But not in my case. I accepted the gift of my implants, memories, and wisdom, and the further wisdom and skill of the curators themselves, and swore to do their bidding in a galaxy that was huge and confusing and sometimes unpredictable, particularly in the matter of uncurated races such as Homo sapiens. I am human. I am not an alien in a human body. I am a human with the memories of aliens to draw on for guidance. And I trusted that guidance for nearly a million years before I found that it was sometimes foul. Four years after the pinwheel exodus. Sophia had put on a complicated winter outfit meant to be both warm and flamboyant, with layers of insulation and colorful scarves. As one of the researchers monitored the activity of her experimental fold implant, she picked a flower out of the tabletop arrangement and commanded a fold to our secondary lab in the new town of Outlook, over a thousand kilometers away. More researchers stood by there to witness and record the results of her arrival. Sophia closed her eyes. She insisted that she preferred to do this when folding, and she disappeared, as did her clothing, which was no small feat, and most of the flower. The stalk had gone with her, but the petals fluttered gently to the floor. Shit, said the researcher. A moment later, Sophia reappeared, waving the now-naked flower stalk. 
She looked down at the puddle of petals on the floor and waved the stalk and said, Really? You definitely had the whole flower selected, the researcher said as he furiously tapped keys. Looks like the bug is on our end. I'm going to go look at the exit data. He was wearing a much simpler outfit that he had practiced taking with him many times, and he just stood up and disappeared. Sophia was the only human so far outfitted with an experimental human-made fold implant who wasn't herself a fold researcher. She gave valuable feedback on how the user interface would be, feel to a non-expert, and she was one of the few people at the pinwheel who could actually make use of her ability. Human implants could fold themselves into hold bubbles like the curator implants, but as material objects, they were only about half a meter across. They didn't implement any of the personality backup and host-taking functions of the curator's version, nor were they capable of interstellar range yet. But it was handy for Sophia to be able to pop back into a colony world from its outer solar system when she, when she was exercising her hobby of supplying new human worlds with stabilizing moons. I thought the safety mechanism wouldn't break a chemical bond, she said. Obviously, something about how the petals are joined to the stalk isn't as expected. It shouldn't have mattered. The petals were selected. It should have taken the whole flower. Human implants also had to take some liberties with things like hair. Curator implants created a fold aperture that closely followed every strand of hair. They had been made for species that might have been extensively furry. Our implants marked off a maximum encompassing volume that was prevented from giving us haircuts by the safety mechanism. That meant we tended to take a little air with us when we folded, but they were mitigating mechanisms to deal with that. At the moment, our priority is perfecting the user interface, which was also still crude. But our teams were making good progress, and that aspect of our design was almost usable. The next step would be to ramp up the size to increase aperture resolution and range. At least it's been a while since I arrived naked, Sophia said. A year earlier, that had been a frequent failure mode. I was now only it was now only complicated or unusually formed clothing that sometimes got left behind, and they were steadily making it easier for the implant user to select the items to be folded with their body. I don't know. I think you arriving naked was kind of a fun bug, especially when it happened to you. Yes, Mr. Genuine Curator Implant, I never got to see you pop into your birthday suit. And with a sharp laugh, she threw the flower stalk at me. I also spent quite a bit of time assisting the surveyors as they scouted for more potential human worlds. With my amplifier suitably reprogrammed, I could add hundreds of cubic light years to space to our growing map and pinpoint targets for detailed exploration in a few hours. I hadn't bothered with on-site exploration myself. I just brought the map extensions and target coordinates back to Terminus, where humans with ships would be assigned to do a more time-consuming task. There were now over 30 worlds considered promising for relatively rapid terraforming, and four where humans could live out in the open without life support. All the worlds had research stations, and over a dozen had permanent colonies, though most were of less than a thousand people. About once a month, the Palomino shuttled back to the Milky Way and generally returned with around a thousand new recruits to our project. We could have brought many more, but the whole thing was kept as quiet as possible back home to minimize the chances that the curators would hear of it. Recruitment was by private message and word of mouth, and none of the new people who boarded the Palomino knew where they were going to go when it left Earth. Fortunately, when they learned the mortality cure was part of their reward for joining up, very few of them wanted to go back, and we were always able to accommodate the few that did by bringing the people they would miss on board, too. 
It was the year 2218, according to Earth's calendar, and Jay was 202 Earth years old. The human population of the Pinwheel Galaxy was nearly 50,000, about half of them on Terminus, and the rest scattered among the other worlds we had discovered. And there were many more worlds being found and more people arriving all the time. Book three, part two. 8,000 years ago. The curators had recruited a handful of human agents around the time they recruited me. Humans had already spread beyond Africa throughout most of Asia and even as far as Australia. Our mortality cure included epigenetic switches that let us modify our appearance so that we could continue to fit in as humans adapted to new environments. My beat was the part of the world known today as the Middle East, and I fit in perfectly as I watched humans develop agriculture, cities, and their first nascent empire without any help from the curators. Normally, by this point in a species development, the curators would have helped them to acquire a uniform language, fire, writing, arithmetic, and Arabic numeric notation, agriculture, and other gifts, and our existence would be common knowledge. But the decision had been made not to curate humanity before I was recruited, and our presence was a formality to verify the decision-making process. There was some surprise that humans had attained so much on their own with no help from us, and without knowledge of our existence, humans were making up their own stories to explain where they had come from and how their world worked. In order to get as close to the forming nexus of power as possible, I posed as a scribe and allowed myself to be enslaved. This was, of course, a sham, since you can't really restrain someone who can simply fold out of your cage or restraints at will, but they didn't know I could do that. As a scribe, I was a valuable slave, and as such, I became both the property and trusted confidant of the young king. I was careful not to reveal any knowledge or skill that I hadn't seen some other human demonstrate, but in order to make myself valuable, I did have to pose as one of the most talented and well-trained humans to acquire their skills naturally. Learned scribe, I seek your counsel, the king said as I was at work. I put away my materials and turned, giving him a slight bow. These new royals had not yet developed a craving for the elaborate rituals of servitude, which would eventually become standard, and it was enough for me to show simple respect and obedience. Whatever my offer, my liege. Our crops are in, and they are more bountiful than ever. My soldiers are confident that they can expand my domain by conquering one of our neighbors, taking their people as slaves and eliminating them as a threat to ourselves. You know exactly how much we have in surplus, so I seek your counsel as to the best course of action. This was one of those times when I knew something that I shouldn't have known. They were not rotating their crops, and so the fertility of the soil that they were using it was, a was a finite resource. And with their population density, which they needed to make agriculture practical, they needed those crops. Going back to hunting and gathering was not a realistic option. My liege, your vision has led us to a great place, I said, but no one has ever tested the fertility of our mother goddess as we are doing. Should her bounty fail in a year or two or three, we might need today's surplus to avoid famine. But scribe, our storage houses already overflow. My liege, if the crop fails next year, we have barely enough to cover that year. We would then have no surplus to expend on expanding our borders to plow new lands, and that is if we leave this year's bounty in storage. Do you think the crop might really fail? There is so much we don't know, my liege, I lied. 
Our storage overflows only because we haven't built much, because we never had such a surplus before. Perhaps before committing to expansion, it might be prudent to build more storage and improve our defenses against vermin so we can build a cushion against hardship. For how long should we take such a timid posture? Not timid, my liege, but careful. We have two years of bounty, and we don't know if a storm or flood or drought will undo us. I would advise giving it five, no, make it seven years. Use the time and our surplus capacity to build strong silos of bricks so that vermin can't get in and fill them up so that if there are lean years coincident with your next bold move, they will not undo all your works. I knew the soil would begin to show the burden by then. They might be able to replenish it by irrigating from the river instead of waiting for the seasonal floods, but it would take them some time to learn how to do that. That is sound advice, scribe. Thank you for your counsel. And of course, four years later, the crops failed, and I became such a hero that I had to disappear in order to be avoid becoming more of a part of the human story than the curators wanted. Even so, the story of my counsel was retold and attributed to other kings and wise men in turn, and with much embellishment, that became my first appearance in the Christian Bible. Present day, two years later. The Pinwheel Expedition had built an enormous bulk nano-assembly facility in the outer terminus system, anticipating the day when we would have to make a fairly large implant for every human in the galaxy. But we weren't really ready for that yet. I approached the lead nano-assembly researcher and asked him about excess capacity. Out the wazoo, he said. We can make one of our current experimental implants in about two days. So far, the most strapping model we've made can fold half a light year, which is still bollocks, and we can make one of those in about 10 days. Right now, we only have 10 active assembly stations, but we could have 100 by next week and 10,000 by next year. But there isn't any reason to bother. Check this out, I said, and I took over his computer to show a prototype design. He looked it over carefully. Hey, we could make a few of those. What the hell is it? It's an element of a planetary defense grid that limits fold span strongly enough to resist a curator amplifier attack. No way. When I was tracking the rogue curator nemesis, I found that even though human fold detectors weren't ver were very primitive, a planetary network of them was as powerful as my amplifier. This works on the same principle in the other direction. Simple devices, he mused. Not that much going on in there for computing or aperture maintenance, just a honking fold core and bit parts. It's meant to do one thing, but it's one somewhat important thing. I catch your drift. How many of these would you be needing? With this spec, we could probably get away with 20, but I'd prefer 32 so we could have a little cushion for losing a few. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We could probably make that in a few months without even ramping it up. Then we would need 32 for every human world. Well, there's at least 50 worlds here with humans on them, but mostly outposts with just a few pioneers. 
I'm thinking that after we prove the concept somewhere dispensable and outfit terminus, then we outfit Earth and the 10 major human colonies of the Milky Way. And how would we be proving the concept without a... I just looked at him. Oh, right, Andrew. I'll get the Danite set prepping some new assembly stations and some freighters bringing in raw material. It'll be kind of nice to be making something actually useful for a change. Book three, part three. Ten years later. It had been less than 30 years, the blink of an eye, really, before I found myself visiting her. Again, after thinking I might never do that in all my galactic shuttle Palomino. The fact It was shuttling in from another galaxy on its regular orbit. Featured holding myself to a ship before we were in range for the agency to reliably track me and taking the ground shuttle down from there. Then, after a couple of days in New York City, I folded to Denver without bothering to disguise what I was doing at all and took up a seat at the coffee shop near my former companion agent's condo where we had often met for breakfast. I made sure to sit within the field of view of a publicly networked surveillance camera and spent long hours reading the classics of Asimov, Clark, and Heinlein. Finally, around noon of my third day of my vigil, she showed up. I can't say I ever expected to see you again, she said from behind me. Your people are slipping. I've been waiting for you for days. I turned around and there she was, dressed in her leather trench coat and mirror shades, just like the day I met her. Oh, we've known you were here. You couldn't have made it plainer if you'd posted a notice on the microfold announcement board. We recognized your signature, and had, we know that you're still dragging the amplifier around. It just took my superior some time to figure out what the hell to do about it. It took them three days to figure out the most obvious thing. She sat down and signaled the waiter for a coffee. It took three days to realize all the other options were dead and stupid and that I didn't believe you would kill me. Yes, a lot of people would have been bent out of shape about the second MPTP injector. I kind of thought that was the reason you ghosted us. How did you find out about it? I can sense my target environment finely enough to position myself within millimeters on the fold to a planet light years away. Did you really think you could hide something from me under your clothing? When you put it that way, it was kind of a stupid idea. If it's any consolation, it wasn't my stupid idea, and I hadn't been ordered to use it, only to have it on hand in case I got another order. And if you had gotten that order? Look, you have the advantage of setting your own course. I am a tool. The people who made me what I am made me to be useful to them, and I am not useful to them if I second-guess their decisions and orders. I didn't like it, and I told them that but I won't lie and say I would have disobeyed them if they had told me to bring you in anyway. I understand. I've been that way myself for much longer than you can possibly imagine, and 60,000 years of that as a human being in this body. Becoming independent has been quite a change. If you knew what I might have done, why did you come back? I'm biochemically immune to MPTP now, and I also have several software bypasses programmed into my implant just in case. Of course, I advised them that trying that again would be extra stupid if it matters. 
It doesn't really matter. I came prepared, but I also came bearing gifts. Will you fold with me? And I extended my hand. She took my hand, and a moment later, we were in a cargo hold of the Palomino. Thirty-five small crates were labeled Earth per Andrew. Andrew? You have a name now? You should try it sometime. You should know it's unworkable for people like us, or at least people like you. Our, mysterious, our mystics once taught that names were a source of power, and that knowing the name of a person or thing gave one power over it. In the modern world, that is literally true. I knew some of the first people who believed that, I said, and they weren't completely wrong, but they were also being a lot more paranoid than they needed to be in their immediate environment. The forces they were afraid of in those original days did not exist, and the ones worth worrying about wouldn't be invented for millennia. So why Andrew? Andrew Martin, a fictional character who became human from Asimov. Appropriate. What's in the crates? Survival. I popped the top so she could gaze in on one of them. A fold drive? No, an element of a planetary defense system, one that can prevent even an amplifier from folding a planet into its sun. That's really the only weapon the curators have. These things can defeat an amplifier? Just as we found your inferior detectors became quite powerful when organized into a global network, these make use of the same principle in the other direction. I've tested them against my own actual amplifier. They're effective. You risked folding yourself into a sun? I risked folding a dead world into a sun. Unlike an implant, the amplifier is capable of a limited degree of remote control. The amplifier would have gone with the planet, but only contacts our world through a dimensionless point of space-time. Even the radiation from the center of a sun wouldn't affect it, and it would have simply returned to me for further instruction. But it reported failure at full strength, which is probably stronger than most of theirs because I've learned some configuration tricks that they've probably forgotten. How, how do we install them? You just give the command. But for that, you need the CNC provision. I opened one of the three oddball boxes, which contained larger spheres. That would be these. I gave it a microfold command, and it levitated out of the box. I directed the agent to hold it. She placed her hands on it, and I issued another microfold command. It began to shrink, quickly disappearing into an invisible point. What the hell was that? That is an implant. Curator style, but built by humans. It's much more primitive than the curator version, but still rather useful. It doesn't back up your consciousness, and while it can fold you, it only has a range of a few astronomical units. More usefully, it can produce the microfold commands compatible with our other kit including the planetary defense system. It's in my body? The point of contact will settle in your thalamus, but it will probably wander around a bit for learning how to communicate with your brain. When it's learned enough, it will begin to teach you. We've built hundreds of these things and have gotten pretty good at that part. Hundreds of them? How do you make them? Bulk nano assembly, of course, same as the planetary defense nodes. You've made that work in just 20 years? We were already working on it for 20 years at Terra Nova before we evacuated, which we did because we were afraid the curator's interest in Nemesis' death might lead them to find out what we were really doing there. And just what were you doing? Seeking to duplicate all of the curator's technology. We still couldn't beat them in a flat-out conflict, but we've made a lot of progress. 
Our current aim is to get these defense nodes around every world with a significant human population before the curators realize what's going on. I can't take that responsibility. This needs to go to my superiors. That's why there are three control implants. I assume one of the others will go to someone in authority and one to someone who will, who will do a detailed research evaluation. And I get one. Yes, it can't take you to another star, but it will make it almost impossible to restrain or imprison you. And while you'll be a bit more vulnerable than I am, it will also be very hard to kill you once your senses are dialed in. And why me? It was hard for me to think of anyone in this world who could put it to better use. Don't we need to ship these to Earth? Just the other two implants. As long as you give the instruction before the Palomino departs, you can just tell the nodes to self-deploy and they'll do so. They will also become dimensionless points in our space-time, so nobody is likely to trip over them on the surface of the Earth. And you will have access to full system status reports through your implant. Bulk nano assembly and implants, she said. Nobody has any idea what humans have done such things. And that's a good thing, I said. One of the reasons I chose you and your agency was that I know you know the value of a secret well-kept, and this one is very important. When the curators realize what we are trying to do and that we might succeed, they will move with every power at their disposal to destroy us all. In their, all their history, they've never faced a credible existential threat, and the only way they know how to react to one is to snuff it out before it becomes actual. Diplomacy with potential equals is not a thing they have on their resume. Three days later, I found myself explaining this to the other people I worked to, uh, with to kill Nemesis. They were not used to dealing with people who live outside of their own control structures and obviously regarded my story skeptically, but my agent verified everything. So what's it like having this implant? The agency head asked her. It speaks into my ear and shows me things. So far, mostly wiring diagrams superimposed on my visual field. It still seems to be learning how to project more detailed sensory impressions and take finer commands. I did successfully fold from one end of my flat to the other, but my clothes didn't make the trip with me. That always happens to beginners, I said. Our user interface isn't as polished as the curators, and marking off the items you want to take with you on a fold is a non-trivial skill. It sounds like we only need this defense because of the danger you might pose to the curators, the research director said darkly. The curators will be coming, I said, project or no project. Our very existence outside of their guided curation, inventing things that are unknown to the other races, is an affront to an order they've maintained for aeons. Remember that I have been a curator for over a million Earth years, and I am considered young by their standards. If we inspire another race to radically change their behavior, it may be a tipping point, and the whole galaxy is aware of us and watching us because of the Promethean full drive plans. One of your leaders once said it is not in our nature to sit contentedly in second place, and there's a good reason for that. This is a great power for us to assume without any kind of due process, the agency had said. Once the network is deployed, all it really amounts to is awareness. You will know the status of what needs to be a secret system anyway, and more importantly, the three of you will know if it has been attacked. And what do we do then? There will be all sorts of possibilities since you will still be alive. I think that might be a cue that the secrecy is no longer beneficial. 
With that, the agency head and research director took their implants, and after another couple of days for them to learn to understand the telemetry, we deployed the defense network. They agreed to discreetly place or recruit appropriate recipients for the CIC implants on the other Milky Way colony worlds. There was a marked difference between Sophia and the agent in bed. Sophia preferred to lose herself in the intensity of her feelings, as if joining some primal current that could only be found in a river of passion. For the agent, pleasure was another tool, one she used to control her own body as well as her partner's. On the morning before the Palomino was to depart, she asked, where are you really going? Far away, I said. Yes, but how far? Andromeda far? At least, I said. Will you forget about us out there? I think the fact that I'm here would answer that. She looked at me for a long moment and said, Veronica. What? My name, until the agency took me and erased it, was Veronica. I won't ever forget that, Veronica. Book three, part four. 2,800 years ago, Humans still hadn't figured out that their world was a collection of finite resources, and the first empires of Macedonia crumbled as the rich forests were cut down to make fields which only remained fertile for a few years before more had to be cultivated. Agriculture remained practical along the rivers where regular flooding replenished the soil, but the population thinned as the forests were converted to deserts and the interesting action moved to the Mediterranean basin particularly Egypt, where the Nile made long-term agriculture more practical, and India and China. Even with the ability to fold anywhere on Earth and our long lives, it was difficult for the handful of human curator agents to keep up with the ebb and flow of human conquest and collapse. I heard tales of a secretive school on a southern Italian island called Croton, where some of our ideas which had been seen where some of the ideas of which I was told seemed remarkably progressive. This turned out to be only partially true. It was a small paranoid club that taught asceticism and some odd philosophical ideas, along with the beginnings of an understanding of mathematics that was new even to me. Those teachings were heavily rooted in visualizations of shapes and an exploration of their geometric properties. I had to also swear to my colleagues that I had not somehow given them the idea that souls are immortal and return to new bodies after death. After all, in their circle, that was only true of me. Unfortunately, they completely eschewed practical applications of their philosophy and regarded some concepts such as the existence of the dodecahedron and irrational numbers as being too dangerous to reveal to those outside of the group. So at the time, I was fairly sure that nobody would remember Pythagoras or his followers. The graphical geometric method of approaching mathematical problems was new and seemed very clever to me. All curators have implants, which are very powerful supercomputers, even by modern human standards. So we tend to use numerical methods to solve problems, and we have long known the solutions to those equations we might need to use. And we tend to give those answers to our curated children as needed before they need to work them out from first principles. It's been a very long time since any of us had to work out something as basic as a trigonometric equation using only our brains and lines drawn in the sand. But even though the Pythagoreans did have some ongoing influence, particularly and most importantly on Aristotle, 
None of the thinkers of that era could move past the idea that such lofty thoughts might somehow be soiled by their application to everyday practical matters. And so those lofty thoughts remained curiosities which had little effect on the lives of most humans. Present day, eight years later. I made a habit of being present when the Palomino returned from the Milky Way. There were detectors for the contraband we most worried about, but the most sensitive detector at the pinwheel was my amplifier. It was not ordinarily possible to detect a curator implant or amplifier at a distance, but some of the engineering diagnostic services I had uncovered could trick an amplifier into revealing its presence, even if it had been stealth. As the passengers debarked, my amplifier received an answer to its diagnostic ping and I became aware of all kinds of deployment information. Over the microfold, I issued a priority one alert to all the usual people, and I started trying to work out who my mark was. Almost everyone who arrives at Terminus was invited by somebody, and so there is someone at the spaceport to meet them. Of the dozen or so who remained milling around and obviously unfamiliar with local customs, I was able to figure out why they were all alone that, with only one exception, a young man who looked to be in his early 20s, and who walked with a familiar sense of confidence, despite his unfamiliarity with the situation. I set my amplifier to rapid range acquisition, and it pinged frantically as I approached him. Welcome to Terminus, I said brightly. Can I help you with anything? I guess I'm looking for a room while I get my bearings. Not a bad idea, and not, a, and not hard here. You want to go up to the balcony cafe? You can get a drink, and I'll point out the landmarks. You can still get a room almost anywhere in town, but there are better and worse neighborhoods as anywhere, you know. Sure, he said. He, of course, didn't have to worry that I might be some kind of predator trying to take advantage of him, since he was an immortal and could escape any kind of attack or confinement. Upstairs, I pointed out the major landmarks of Terminus City, then casually said, So how old are you? I'm only about a million and sixty and sixty K in this human host. He froze midway in transferring his Bloody Mary to his lips. Let me guess, they told you nobody could tell. He finished taking a sip, then slowly nodded. There's a lot of things the curators are less than truthful about, and a few they don't even know. You strike me as being a bit green, so I don't think you're taking a human bioform. You were born human and are freshly recruited. I threw up a local fold inhibition field before he could sprint. He could have still taken me on a chase, but he was bewildered when his fold senses didn't work as usual. One of those things they don't know about, I said gently as his eyes widened. Who are you? Surely they told you about the rogue curator you might meet. He shook his head. Sloppy even by their standards. I'm guessing you also don't know about the amplifier. The what? That is the material avatar of a human, of a curator fold amplifier. You command it to appear like that to let the other curators know you're wielding big power, like this. And I made mine appear. I sensed the cavalry approaching, and over the microfold asked them to hold back, except for Sophia, who I asked to join us. To my mild surprise, everyone agreed to this. What does this thing do? He asked. Well, usually they're used for moving small worlds around and forming solar systems to create the conditions for forming habitable worlds, I said. But I use mine for a lot of specialized research, and I think yours is programmed to destroy this world. What? Tell me, how long were you planning to stay here? 
Just a short visit to scope the place out. They said this galaxy was full of probes that would help them locate the exit point when I got here. Did they tell you which galaxy? Andromeda, of course, he said. That's where they thought I would be going. But on the ship, they told me this would be Messier 101. That's right. Look, kid, you got a name? I know they tell you names are obsolete in the curator biz, but take it from me. We've both been very, very human. And you're going to get tired of being that curator guy. I'm Andrew. Thomas, he said sheepishly. You should be more like your namesake in the Bible and doubt more, I said with a little smile. I'm trying to figure out what trigger your amplifier is set for. It had to be passively it had to passively allow itself to be carried here by over a thousand folds initiated by another drive, and it's not a natural thing for amplifiers to do that. It's not mine, he said. I had no idea. They said it would be they said I would be immortal. And you probably are, mostly. We have people who can make sure they really did give you the mortality cure and who can give it to you anyway in case they didn't. Everyone here will be 50 to 100,000 years, at least if some asshole doesn't fold the planet they're standing on into its sun. This is a trap, he said, with actual horror in his voice, just as Sophia rounded the corner into view. Wow, it's an amplifier party, she said. I should probably be dissolving in lust. Ah, here it is, I said, as the diagnostic worm finally hit pay dirt. Now that you've folded to a world, when you fold it away by the external drive, it won't passively go. It'll stay here, and then I trace the event handler. While you sail off back to the Milky Way, this here world you visited visits the center of its host star. Or it would if we didn't have defenses the curators don't know about for that sort of thing. He finished his drink and signaled for another one. I didn't know, he said limply. I believe you. I glanced at Sophia. Curators, she said with a shrug. Would you like to be rid of it? Please, you can do that. Sure. Let me erase this stupid script and reset your warlocks. I closed my eyes for a second to focus. Then I said to Sophia, honey, I have a gift for you. And she found herself wearing the belt. Um, how is this supposed to work? she said. Our implants aren't that good at folding, but imp they implement the whole comm system for amplifier control. When you're using an amplifier, you're using its bolt engine anyway. I'll have to show you the ropes, but now you can move moons without my help. Your implants, Thomas said? Yes, implants made by humans. Not up to curator standards, but our people are working on improving them. They didn't tell me you could do that. That's because they don't know. We carefully kept it a secret. Sophia looked down at her belt and said, There is a way to make this thing invisible, right? I nodded and sent the command. Thomas, I would like to offer you a deal. Are you open to an offer? I suppose I was so proud and happy to have been picked, and I, now I realize I was uh, just a uh, uh, patsy, Sophia said. Thomas nodded and sobbed gently. I offer you a trade, I said. Let us take possession of your curator implant. Unlike your king and queen and myself, who have been using our implants for a long time, you don't have much invested in yours. Give it to us to study, and we will give you one of ours to test. Your experience will be valuable because you'll be the only human ever to have experienced both types of implant. 
your feedback will be invaluable to our researchers who are trying to improve the user interface. And as we improve our kit, you'll get upgrades. You would offer me this after, after what I almost did here? You were used hard by forces you don't understand. They expected that after your return, you would easily be recruited into full loyalty because you would be so alienated from your birth species. By studying your curator implant, which we can do destructively if we need to, because it isn't hosting your personality yet, we can learn much that might help us improve the ones that we're making for ourselves. He took a long sip of his new drink. Then, well, I would kind of have to be an idiot to turn that down. And besides, you could just kill me and take it anyway if I refused, couldn't you? I just signaled the bartender for a glass of wine, and Sophia gazed off into the distance. Book three, part five. Rod, <clears throat> let me give you the restroom real quick. Monologue. Okay. Very good. Very good so far. All right. Well, during this intermission, I figure Tommy probably would like me to let you know that if you want a paper copy of his favorite book, The Metamorphosis of Prime Intellect, as seen here, uh, you can get it from Amazon and all the usual suspects. Uh, but if you take the trouble to go to Lulu, lulu.com, uh, it's the same price, but then I get a lot more of the money because they are the publisher of Origin, uh, and they give me the cut that would normally go to Amazon and the book distribution folks. The contracts that make it possible for you to buy it on Amazon forbid Lulu to give you a discount. They have to sell it at the same price, but they do uh, as I said, give me a lot more of the money, and it's like $6 instead of $1.50. So uh, that would be a solid. On the other hand, if you've got an Amazon gift card or uh, anything like that, or if it's just easier, don't worry about it. Go ahead and just buy it from them anyway. I get by far most of my revenue off of things like that from Amazon just because they're Amazon. And if you need an ebook uh, or one of the other uh, publishing formats uh, for your Kindle or EPUB or whatever, uh, just get it anywhere. There, it doesn't matter. Uh, they're all the same. So uh, that's where we are at the moment. Uh, I think this is the next to last. We have two more episodes in this reading from the original. I'm not quite sure how far the restroom is from the desk in Tommy's new digs. Ukrainian vodka. Oh, and in case anyone wonders why I keep looking over here when I'm talking to you, it's because to do the reading, I have the reading stuff under the camera and I have the Zoom meeting over here. <laughs> 
And, uh, and if you never have, check out t uh, Tommy's merch store. This is one of his shirts. He does some good stuff. Sorry, I'm managing the uh, hydroelectric turbine that is my dryer. Oh, my foot's stuck. <laughs> oh, yes. yes, you didn't have that problem in the old digs. No, I got to go out there and like use the restroom and also like monitor. It's it's pretty simple. My gauges are just my windows. Are they fogging yeah. up? And that means they're not open enough and that we're not. I don't care about the heat or the humidity. It's just I feel like it's probably not a good thing to just have in an apartment in uh yeah, just twenty twenty two civilization. Oh no, Billy, I've I've had mold and stuff like that. Before yeah, it's yeah. You don't want to go there. I feel like the deposition is probably very, any damage would be very slow and unnoticeable. And I'm like, I plan on it being is. here a couple of years, maybe just. And it gets into everything. Yeah, you I was like, it. maybe just assume. Just if the windows aren't fogging up, then I know it's hitting equilibrium yeah. outside. And then and I keep the fans on. So that everything's blowing and stuff. And then as the gets drier and drier, it stops obviously fogging up. So although I have nothing out there, like that's technological, I'm still just, you probably like, have stuff made of cloth. Well, just anything, you just the wood floors, the wallpaper. Yes. I'm like, it's probably just not good. And this isn't like a one-off. I'm doing this several times a week. So sorry, continue. All right, so we yeah we have two more episodes to go for this reading. So okay, so uh, book three, part five. Two thousand years ago, if the Greeks were hindered by an excessively philosophical approach to those ideas that might have made advanced technology possible, the Romans had the opposite problem. They were nothing if not ruthlessly practical, both in their aspirational architecture and their engines of conquest. But they considered math and geometry to be the tools of rough, the rough trade of building, whose members existed to serve the exalted whims of their masters. The arts of reading and writing were too fine to be wasted on such ordinary people. And so their arts were handed down by apprenticeship and, and word of mouth, and thus completely lost when the empire folded up. The Romans would eventually conquer everyone within range, except for the Egyptians, who had the resources of the Nile Valley to draw on. That range was limited primarily by the time it took their armies to reach a destination on foot, a range they extended by building the finest roads any of us, including we human curator agents, had ever seen. Of course, this also required them to practice a very casual brutality, which always came up when we pointed out what humans were doing to those who had sent us to watch them. Human success would always be temporarily a temporary aberration, we were assured. Such a society could never be stable. And the collapse of the Roman Empire after succession of increasingly self-absorbed and outright insane emperors seemed to confirm this. But from the ground on earth, we could see another facet of this that the other curators refused to acknowledge. Since we had denied humans the tools that eliminated scarcity and granted power, those who wished to eliminate scarcity or acquire power had little choice but to enslave their neighbors. Their agricultural techniques were primitive and hard on the land 
and their architecture and engineering were all dependent on manually manipulating things that could be found on the surface of their world. This required much backbreaking labor, which is often coerced by the threat of violence. I spent as much time with the Roman engineers who were raising aqueducts and vaulted domes as I did with their emperors. The fact that humans had managed to raise any kind of civilization at all was amazing, and the fact that civilization was cruel should not have been surprising. Present day. Jay, Emma, and several of the fold and implant researchers joined us as I brought Thomas to a room that I had included in the plans for Terminus City on the possibility that something like this might eventually happen. It was an enormous open space, 20 meters tall and 30 meters across, with three massive support posts molded into the floor. You have to let me unlock it, I told Thomas. This is what I will tell you and how you must respond. He followed my instructions, and soon I was in full remote control of his implant. I gave it the disconnect command and prepared to stop it from running for home, but it didn't move. A few more queries revealed that it was simply out of range to make its way to where it was supposed to go on disconnection and there was no programmed backup course of action. I moved its point of contact with our space-time continuum out of Thomas's head and made its visible as a point of light. That's it, Thomas asked. Instead of responding, I moved the point to the center of the room and instructed it to unfold its protective bubble. From our perspective, it grew from a point into a 10-meter diameter mirrored sphere in a matter of moments. The sphere settled gently onto the support pillars, and then I instructed it to wipe its memory and shut down for maintenance. Is there any danger of that happening by accident? Emma asked. None whatsoever, I replied. It was more difficult for me to make that happen than you probably realize. I had to overcome several levels of automatic safeguards in addition to the ones Thomas could have controlled consciously. Speaking of which, I think we have a trait to make... It's over here, our lead implant specialist said. There was a crate which opened to reveal a much smaller sphere. He instructed Thomas to grasp the sphere at two particular points with his hands, and it shrunk to a point and disappeared. You'll become aware of it shortly, the specialist told him. We're very curious to hear what you have to tell us as that happens. Thomas glanced up at the enormous curator implant. Might not have been an entirely fair trade, he said with a wink to let us know he was kidding. Mostly carbon in the outer layers, diamondoid or graphene, I said absently. Lots of silicon near the center, several layers of gallium, probably gallium arsenide, and some other bulk semiconductors here and there. Definite spherical shell internal structure. We hope to learn a lot from that one, the specialist told Thomas. And as we get better, we'll need to upgrade our uh, we'll need you to upgrade to grade our progress as we upgrade yours. One of the assistants left with Thomas to monitor his introduction to his new implant. Where do we even start? The senior specialist said. You wouldn't learn much for it without my amplifier, which I have made into a very sensitive probe for this kind of work. We will need at least one volunteer to couple with it while we study what is happening inside it. That should be possible within this room, even with the implant unfolded like this. People will line up for the opportunity, he promised. We may also need to scan the volunteer's brain at the same time. I can only do one or the other because it requires a different microfold probe configuration. I may need to get Sophia involved since I gave her the amplifier they sent with Thomas. We could have studied the amplifier, too. Not really. It would have been almost a kilometer in diameter like this, completely impractical to deal with, and amplifiers don't have the systems we need to learn the most about. 
it's more useful to use as what it was meant to be. Well, you're the expert. I know a lot about how they work, I said, thanks to Jay's report after his period of emulation, but I don't know anything about how they were built. Neither, as far as I can find out, does anyone else alive. I had to tease out the engineering override codes by using human hacking techniques, starting with minimal access Jay's emulation awakening provided. Fortunately, the ancestors believed in verbose error messages and didn't have much of a clue about computer security. If there are any curators alive at all who know how these uh, who know these things, they're few in number and very secretive about what might be possible. Well, surely they continue to build more of them. Yes, but all that's been automated since before the Earth was formed. If we could find the manufacturery and throw a spanner into its works, they would probably be as helpless as lambs. Just tell me where it is, Jay said. That's the problem. Even the curators don't seem to know where it is. There are microfold message codes used for summoning and release, but nobody has any idea how these requests are honored. Our implants may be cheap knockoffs, but at least we know where they're made later that month. On the next circuit of the Palomino back to Earth, Captain Bernalt brought back an urgent message for Jay and Emma. They designated me to go to Earth and get the details. The chief executive of Earth's government, who was currently Chinese, met me at the Red Estate, which was now a government facility since the Red Prince was living on a pinwheel colony world. He poured me a generous shot of fine Australian scotch and said, we've received an ultimatum from the curators. How? He folded into the General Assembly Hall as we were wrapping up our summer session. He disabled all the communication equipment, and jammed the doors, and made a short speech. We don't have recordings because all that was disabled, but fortunately we maintained the tradition of having a human shorthand reporter on hand. He handed me a folded piece of paper. Everyone in the room heard it in their own language, he said. The reporter was British. Quote, we who created you have lost patience with human interference in the patterns of growth and trade within our garden of Milky Way galaxy. Henceforth, we forbid you to introduce more new technologies to our other children or to extend your influence to more indexed worlds. Know that we will also be putting those races who have already adapted certain of your technologies on notice. We will allow you to explore our garden as individuals as long as you do not change what you find and as long as you do not do so in an official capacity of any type. From this point on, fold ships which are capable of landing are forbidden to visit the surface of any world which has not already been made, made their own. Know that we possess the means to overwhelm your fold inhibitor technology. The penalty for violating these rules will be the loss of your worlds, beginning with the Earth for your first defense. Do not make the mistake of testing us. Our technology is billions of years ahead of yours, and your precocial efforts are still as the toys of children compared to the forces we can command. You may create whatever you want and do whatever you want on the worlds you already occupy. It is our fault that we led you to believe that that was permitted to take colonies, and we cannot fault you for those actions. But further expansion, either by establishing new colonies or extending new influence on our other children, will not be tolerated. I looked up from the document. After delivering that speech, he disappeared in a brilliant flash of light. Some of us took over an hour to regain our vision. Fucking show off, I said. Well, we were impressed. I'm one of only a few people outside of the agency which monitors the curator activity on Earth who knows of your special project. The curator sounded very confident that no such thing was possible. 
and we want them to think that for as long as possible, I said. If you did not know of that, what would the council's inclination in response be in response to this? Well, there will be a long, a big political fight, which is delayed until we reconvene for the fall. Some will want to challenge the curators, but they will be on the minority. The bigger debate will be how to conform to the terms. It's really impossible. Aliens visit us and they want to trade with us for what they see. That is correct. This is structured as a trap. That they delivered this signals a major realignment in curator politics. They don't just want to stop us from influencing the others. They want to make an example of us by destroying us all. This demand is structured to give them the cover of plausible excuse, even though we think we are in compliance. Are you sure of that? They already tried to destroy the world I just came from, I said. And they failed? I'm here. The curators are quite wrong about more things than anybody in this galaxy realizes. Act as if you do not know about our far colony or our special project here at Earth. Make the best faith effort you can to be in compliance. We are in a good position, but now that the gauntlet has been thrown, there are other preparations we need to make. Book 3, Part 6. 15th century CE. After the Roman Empire fell, it seemed that the human race probably was doomed. There were promising developments in China, quelled by conflict and invasion. Accountants on the Indian subcontinent finally worked out a positional number system that made advanced math possible, but then didn't pursue the advanced math. Islam pushed the explosion of a new philosophy and technology, which would eventually bring the Indian number system to Europe. But then the Ottoman Empire settled into the all-too-familiar pattern of mad leaders and corrupt bureaucrats. Then everything seemed to come together in Europe. The knowledge of the Roman engineers had been forgotten, but the older ideas of the Greek philosophers had been preserved, sometimes in only a few copies. But it was remembered because it had been written down, and now it was studied by people who were inclined to make practical applications. The errors of Aristotle's wisdom were gradually discovered. Gutenberg invented a way to make books mere non-royals could afford. Kepler worked out how the bodies of the solar system moved, and Newton worked out why. Other people realized that while their quasi-religious search for an elixir of immortality was probably futile, the experiments they had been conducting were revealing other, more mundane ways to usefully manipulate the material world. Much of this new wisdom was spread through letters written on newly inexpensive rag paper by people who were basically hobbyists with enough wealth to have some free time. I found the role of carrying those letters useful as it gave me a chance to spy on their content as their writers progressed in their ideas. Our supervisors assured us that it would collapse again, and we human agents resigned ourselves to recording that inevitability. But what then happened was both much more spectacular and much worse than anyone could have imagined. Present day, six years later. I was not particularly surprised when the Palomino returned from Earth with another curator amplifier aboard. The curators were nothing if not consistent. I alerted the authorities and they made sure everyone was safe in case I had to command the defense network to throw up a general fold inhibition field. Then I folded myself to the spaceport to identify my mark. The curators don't use names, but our implants do have a unique index. He had taken a new human avatar, but I instantly recognized the interloper by his implant signature. He had once been the keeper of amplifiers who served as gatekeeper for the powerful devices. 
He must have taken a suitably young human host shortly after I killed Nemesis in order to be a young adult human at this point. It is possible to stealth your implant so that it doesn't reveal your presence or identity, but he probably didn't seriously consider that other curators might be present on Terminus. I approached him and respectfully said, Keeper? <coughs> His eyes widened. I never thought I'd see you again, he said. Let's get lunch, I said, pointing up at the balcony cafe. There's no point, he said heavily. You know what I'm here to do. You've done great wrong, but you also command our respect, so I will allow you to leave before I do what must be done. I'm not going anywhere, I said. You can destroy the plan at any time. At least have a coffee first. Since you recognized me, I suppose you had something to do with the ineffectiveness of our other agent, he said as he sipped his medium roast. You could say that, I admitted. That's why I decided to come myself. You will not stop me. I hope you realize that less than half our population in this galaxy is here on Terminus. Of course, after I fold this world into its sun, this bioform will be incinerated, but the implant will go on in emulation and the amplifier will continue to function. <coughs> I will have as much time as I need to find and destroy your other colonies. You are committed to this course of action, I said. Yes, I have offered you a reprieve. You are one of us. That body and its crazy stew of hormones have corrupted you, but you may be salvageable if you take another host of a different species. I'm not going up this giving up this bioform anytime soon, I said. You will lose it now anyway, he said. Our implants will survive being isolated from the stellar core environment within their fold bubbles. And he looked grim for a moment, then very surprised. In my own mind, I was receiving reports from the defense network that it had stopped a planetary fold event. How's that working out? I asked with a thin smile. He tried again and again, then he realized he was effectively blocked and stopped trying. Most impressive, he said. You have no idea. It's unfortunate that you followed through on your threat. The others will not be in favor of mercy for you. He tried to fold out and again found himself completely blocked. Now his eyes were wide with shock. This isn't possible, he said. That kind of denial is so human, I said. You would be amazed at what is possible. For example, humans have spent centuries defending their computer systems from legions of motivated attackers who had full understanding of their techniques and the best competing technology at their disposal. By comparison, curator systems are wide open. And with that, I took his amplifier away. How? Thanks for bringing it. We can always use another one. Our ancestors didn't have much of a clue about computer security, and I've learned a lot from the humans. You, you, you cannot do this, he hissed. The consequences will be, will be non-existent, I said, and then I sent a flurry of commands to his implant. I couldn't take it away from him, as I'd learned in my hunting of Nemesis. There are multiple layers of security, and I had no way to disable the Keeper's conscious control over them. But there were other functions which weren't so well protected, mostly because they weren't so obviously dangerous and few curators even remembered that they existed. You will never atone for this outrage, he said. We will hunt you to the ends of the universe. I don't suppose I will atone, but you will never go home to warn the others about what just happened either. What makes you think you can prevent it? I can fold onto your fairy ship without anyone realizing I've done so. I just sent your implant an engineering diagnostic command, which disables the function that follows you when you're transported by another fold drive. 
the security on that function is minimal and it can be shut off without your conscious awareness. You could turn it back on if you knew how, but I shrugged. What are you talking about? If you allow your body to be folded anywhere by another drive, your implant will no longer follow you. It will automatically disengage, and after a brief timeout, it will attempt to fold home to the manufacturer. Since it's out of range to do that from here, we'll wait for someone who knows the appropriate diagnostic commands to take control and reset it. I sipped my coffee. I know those commands. There are other weapons. I will kill you all. You can go anywhere you want in this galaxy, but you can't take much with you, and you can't fold worlds into their suns. You are welcome to join our project or to become a recluse. If you make yourself too much of a nuisance, bear in mind that I did kill the rogue curator who called herself Nemesis, and I did it through an obscure point of her host's human physiology. And you are also human now. So this is how you defeated our other agent? Oh, no, he was human by birth, and when I showed him the amplifier and told him what you had programmed it to do, he was horrified. He is helping our researchers make our version better. Your version? Of what? Our implants, of course. Primitive so far compared to yours, but unlike you, we're constantly improving. You can't make implants without bulk nanoassembly, and only curators know how to do that. How do you think we stopped you from folding the planet? We've been doing bulk nanoassembly since before we left the Milky Way. He just looked at me with an expression that morphed from rage to horror. In your ultimatum to Earth's government, you said that you were billions of years ahead of us, but that isn't really true. You stopped innovating long ago. In fact, you hate progress and innovation. That hatred is what brought you here to commit genocide. So you are really only as far ahead of us as our ancestors were when they decided further progress was not to be tolerated. And I think that was a very long time ago, and maybe not all that far past where humans are now. We will destroy you, he said. We will stop at nothing. You have, we have all of time to, and reason to stop. No reason to ever stop trying, but you will stop. You will stop at amplifiers because amplifiers are all you have. This was your big wad. And you can come back with two or four amplifiers, and the result will be the same because amplifiers are general-purpose devices. But the defense system is purpose-built to stop what you're trying to do. I wonder how many amplifiers you even have. It must take a hell of a lot of resources to make one. You have no idea, he said. Oh, that's not true at all. We have a very good idea how expensive it was for you to make the implant that we're taking apart. And our assembly methods are apparently already much faster and more practical than yours. I instructed the defense network to release the inhibition field, and he disappeared. I didn't really care where he went, although there was a small staff who would be tasked with keeping tabs on him. There wasn't much he could do to us unless he was willing to do it with knives. And if he went that route, there was another problem I had already proven to be solvable. And that is... Reading number 16 for TPC. I will. I loved it. You'll, you'll like the others even more. As I said, uh, they get more intense throughout this book. <laughs> so what is it then? Is it, is, it's just that the curators by not having any like natural enemy have in a sense to us, they seem like God tier, but if you actually look at it in parody, they've kind of grown not sloppy but completely. well they said they stagnated yeah they had, 
they haven't had any reason to improve their kit for billions of years. And so they've forgotten how to improve their kit. They, they have what they have, but they no longer have the resources to make it any better than it is. Whereas we're in that phase where we're constantly growing and improving. And unlike the curators, we know, should we get to exact parity with them, that that's not necessarily a good place to stop. <laughs> yeah. So they've forgotten or they just got lazy? Mostly forgotten. Uh, I mean, you got to remember, I work in industry. So I've seen this process in real yeah. life with actual technology. But you put something in service, it stays in service for so long that the people who originally built it die or forget how it works they go on to other projects uh and then when something finally does happen to it there's no one who knows what to do anymore but the, the difference here no, I, I get that yeah. um you know most specifically the you know the the engine the exhaust bell of like the uh saturn 5 but in this case the curators don't die so where how does that factor in because it's not they Actual. don't die. Well, they don't die, but they do forget. I mean, okay. their mental processes are similar to ours. They're based on biological brains. They're, it'll, it'll come up as a plot point in the future that they are fanatical, that when a curator has a host, it's the host's brain that does the thinking. The implant is simply an accessory. Uh, the implant can do its own thinking temporarily when it's disconnected, but the curators consider that uh, a somewhat uh nasty condition that they don't like and uh it they only allow it in as much as it's necessary in order for the implant to find a new host uh that's yeah so basically uh you know they're and and also the curators live in in their individual hosts they they're not immortal they have to take a new host every once in a while you know a hundred thousand yeah. a million years whatever um so there's probably some information loss there. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm only 58 years old and I'm starting to be asked about stuff that I built in this lifetime. And I'm like, no, I don't remember building that actually. Yeah. Uh, so I would imagine after 7 billion years, there probably isn't anybody left who remembers the password. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> I was under the impression that curators were just like omnipotent, omniscient, never... Uh, Okay, so it's not, yeah. it's not, They're, it's not god tier. It's it's high up there, but it's still not god tier. Well, most mortals would consider them gods, but well, well, yeah, you yeah, don't no, have no. to be. You got to remember that to the ancients, you know, before uh, Christianity came along, in particular. I mean, I I don't think even the uh, the ancient Hebrews would have would have thought that Yahweh was omnipotent and omniscient. Remember, they thought other gods actually existed. It's just that they were the chosen people of this particular one. So to the ancients, a god was not an infinite being. The very idea was absurd. Uh, so, you know, it's it's only the Christians that came along and decided that God had to be infinite because there's only one God and it created everything as a deliberate act of creation uh, as opposed to it being born or something or tripped over it in the dark or something. I mean, there's some interesting variants on that uh so no the the curators are gods but they're not gods in the sense that uh christianity has touted 
its god since the Council of Nicaea. Uh, very few humans in all of human history actually ever believed anything like that about their gods, because obviously the universe is a chaotic place where forces yeah. are in conflict. So it makes more sense that there are multiple gods duking it out, none of which is ever completely ascendant, than that there's one that created this chaos and likes it that way. Hmm. So it's more, yeah, God in like the, the ancient Greek sense, where it's right. Like they have their human flaws, they have jealousy and lust and anger, and they yeah. fuck around and find out. Yeah, and they're not infinite. They're yeah. they're very extensive. You know, and relative to us, they're they're infinite. But they might as well be. But mm. there are other forces that can threaten them, or that can at least threaten their interests. <clears throat> the the curators have gone to a great deal of effort to make sure that uh none of them can kill each other which is one of the things that bothers them so much about what happened to nemesis yeah uh that the uh bitch got killed yeah they're yeah they're they're not supposed to be able to be killed by anybody uh and their whole society falls apart if that turns out not to be true anymore <laughs> Okay, no, this is just shifting my kind of perception on it. I, up till now, I think I just assumed the curators were gods because that, that kind of made the whole coup, or I guess counter coup, mm -hmm. hard, harder to wrap my head around. But now it's... Well, part, part of the next two books is we're going to increasingly see the curators' flaws and limitations. Mm. So it's like in the beginning, we didn't really understand how extensive they their abilities were and we were gradually introduced to that. But now we've kind of seen, you know, seen how awesome they are. Now we're going to start seeing how we can aspire hmm. to be their equals because they're not infinite. They're just beings like us. They just have a really cool toys. <laughs> I'd always wondered, like, I'd always wondered when, like if you ever got to like you know the heads of the cia or the un or something i always wondered like i love the idea that like they have conspiracy theories you know like the head of the cia <laughs> is meeting with like the president and they're like who do you think really runs this shit and like i love that idea of like <laughs> classified conspiracies to where like they don't know but they don't want to let on they don't know because as gorbachev said their power is from the perception of their power but i love the idea it just goes forever um i think that kind of that would be a cool take is if like you ever had like the gods sitting around and like they had gods like hyper gods or something even above that yeah and well there are a number of stories that have been written in science fiction uh based on that and actually even the real uh myth myths if you look at how the greek and roman pantheons are structured the gods do have gods and the but the gods that the gods have are extremely remote to mere humans so we don't have much to do with them and they're also very remote from the affairs on earth yeah so uh so it's like there is this idea that the gods have gods and maybe it's a pyramid that goes up forever or it's something uh it's almost like living on a spherical planet like you can only ever see both horizons. Like we can look up to the gods and maybe understand theoretically that they have gods. And then we can look down mm -hmm. to like animals and then as far below animals as animals are to us, they're just like, you know, single cellular organisms. 
but there is a past that it starts to lose any like it's hard to it's hard to relate to gods like we can maybe say like oh like zeus or jupiter had you know anger issues and we can kind of you know but it, we can't wrap our head around living for millions of years or like destroying mountains with the snap of a finger but then as you would have to imagine what are their gods it's it's almost like carl sagan talking about like a fifth dimensional being like we might be able to somewhat detect a fifth dimensional entity but like a two-dimensional entity could never detect a fifth dimension. Like a two-dimensional yeah. could detect us and maybe a fourth, but like not like just but we'll never detect mm-hmm. a seventh dimension. So it's almost like there is a point where it's like the gods of the gods would be so far we like, we couldn't even yeah, we couldn't even understand like the yeah. very ideas of like creation and equal and opposite reactions might not even apply. Like yeah. it's the, the ancients idea on that was that the gods of the gods are extremely remote, extremely abstract, extremely unconcerned with things that happen at our level here, you know, on earth. Uh, yeah. So it's more like if, if you're in the hierarchy of things like that, you're interested in what's immediately above you and immediately below you. Yeah. Yeah. But two levels up or two levels down is uh, either unknowable or you don't give a shit about it. it's fun to rip a bong <laughs> and talk about but there's real no you know i it's good for me to understand like how rumble works and it's good for me to like kind of keep a tab on the news so i can get bigger guests but like i'm not looking at like where are the rumble servers hosted and what materials are the servers made of and how are they being like that's beyond i'm not worried about Mm-hmm. where the google servers are getting their electricity from i'm like that's far. <laughs> i know like the parameters of like where i am and who has more subscribers than me and who's like below me but past that it's more of just like a yeah it's like a pet issue to talk about like, like we're doing but it's there's no real there's no real implications yeah my uh my dad had an issue with one of his credit cards recently the the one that he uses to pay for our movie tickets it stopped working oh god and uh he said that the the theater chain said that they got an error that said the address of the card didn't match the billing address and his bank said your billing it's like no everything matches everything is good and uh we never even got this request from them for this uh for the for, for this payment and I was, I was just telling him, it's like, you you know, I know a little bit about the rough edges because like, for example, the DOJ trying to shut down the porn industry involved this layer of the credit card networks. And I've had my own misadventures with them where a database got corrupted mm-hmm. and I didn't get bills from several of my credit cards for months. Mm-hmm. And I had to find out. And then when I contacted them and said, you haven't been sending me bills, you've been sending them to my old address. They were like, well, it's never been changed. And I said, of course it's been changed because six months ago you were sending my bills to Mandeville and then you started sending them to the place that I haven't, the post office box I haven't had for 10 years back in Jefferson Parish. And it's like, well, no, nobody changed it. And I'm like, I have a bill with my correct address on it that you sent me seven months ago and you sent the next bill to a place that I haven't lived in 10 years. Obviously something changed. (laughs) <laughs> it's something on a much bigger level has happened but it's yeah i mean so it's like there's this this you know we all we see it at the point of sale okay and your yeah. vendor sees it at their 
point of sale terminal where they're you know getting the you know car charge approved but between that the gods of the gods yeah. are deciding whether they're, your charge goes they're, they're duking it out yeah yeah we're the fucking barnacles <laughs> on the bottom of the cruise ship we don't understand that there's a cuban missile crisis embargo yeah. it's so far i remember like when i was studying a lot uh my junior year of college i was like you know i had like my own like moral thing against cheating and plus it would be kind of hard to pull off anyway mm. but i was like how can i like augment like my own mind and that's i really got into morning workouts cold showers meditation different methods <laughs> of studying and then i got into like nootropics and like you know immediate effects like stimulants and then longer term effects like bolstering the fatty tash fatty tissue content of your brain and i remember one of the things i'd ordered was um called Olmafon or Drafinil. It was an early stimulant. Um, not in the sense that you got jacked up like caffeine. You were just away. It was originally used for like B2 spirit pilots to stay awake for 40 hours. <laughs> and uh, they had since gone through several generations and the pharmaceutical companies would change to Nancy or when the patent runs out and they'd make a new one. So there's like a Drafinil, Modafinil, Armodafinil, and that's how they kept the profit going. But I remember the point is, is like, I was reaching like the edges of like my own battle space of like, I already have the highest grade and now I'm trying to like tweak my own mind and sleep schedule. And I remember when I ordered the Omafon, I got it from a a pharmaceutical company in France that had its like distributor somewhere in South Africa. And I remember when I got the mail, there was like this insert and it's like, we are not responsible for like <laughs> U.S. customs, law enforcement or like legal penalty, legal penalties, legal penalties. <laughs> they're like, therefore. And it was like, there was like another insert in like French. Yeah. And I was looking at it and I very quickly felt like I had smacked into a glass ceiling of sorts. I was like, this is, I'm, I'm. I am yeah tampering with the god. I'm put, dipping my toes in the gods. I'm like, I th me getting an A in biology. It, there needs to be a ceiling, and it's me getting arrested by <laughs> by yes. customs agents. They for, like, they scheduled the drug that you ordered while it was in the mail. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. No, I was like, I don't. This is I'm reaching a higher level of like I don't need to be questioned for like attaining drugs used for nuclear pilots. I was just like. I've hit a ceiling here. I'll make a note of it. You're stepping out of your bounds. You're stepping out of your playing field. Stay in your lane. Yeah. But then you got to wonder, so if it just goes on forever and the gods have gods and those gods have gods and those gods, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. and well, look, at the, look at the universe. The, uh, the universe is made up of particles at every damn level. Yeah. Okay. You know, it's like it's, it starts with, you know, uh, electrons and protons and neutrons beneath, the, beneath those you've got quarks mm -hmm. above those you know those clump together and make molecules and stuff and then you have solid matter and that looks like something continuous and all until you zoom out and find out that there's these little balls of solid shit orbiting these balls of gaseous shit orbiting these balls of other stuff and it's a bunch of fucking particles again uh -huh. <laughs> and yeah. then you zoom out far enough then you find they're clumped up into these Groups Big called galaxies, yeah, local and, clusters, and super clusters, filaments, and firmaments. Right. Yeah. And, and so it's like, yeah, the actually, there's a technical term for that. It's called a fractal dust. Okay. So it's like, it's a void full of particles, each of which is itself a void full of particles 
each of those particles being a void full of particles yeah. all the way down to the turtles. <laughs> so, so, but then you, you, you have to come to like a philosophical crossroads and almost choose which path you're going down. Not that your choice reflects ultimate reality or not, but you have to decide, does it, is there an ultimate top and is there an ultimate bottom or does it just go forever? In which case for all intents and, pur intents and purposes, it's cyclical. Mm -hmm. In which case where we are right now is both the yeah, tip yeah. and the bottom. It, it, deep man. Well, it, well, eventually that's the, <laughs> that's the point you reach though, is eventually you're like, I don't yeah. think the point of the game is, it's like when you play a video game and you, Fly yeah. as high as you can or get in a boat and go as far out into the ocean as you can. Eventually you hit a wall and then you eventually realize like the point of the game isn't to find more map. It's to beat the game and the plot. Mm -hmm. That's that's where I always come back is like, I don't think the purpose of this is to find the most fundamental particle or the biggest picture multiverse of multiverses. Or maybe, maybe the further we get, the more shit the universe makes up. So there's more stuff for us to find. Yeah, it's just an it, it's 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 creating more just because we're looking. Like that, there's yeah. no, we'll never find it. It's just going forever. Yeah, and I tell you, there was there was a uh, back in the day. Uh, I know, I, I think we talked about the original three uh, first person three D uh, arcade game Battle Zone, uh, which was the wireframe tanks mm -hmm. and uh, you know with the vector graphics display, it couldn't do a bitmap. Uh, but it was so such a startling departure from the other video games of its day. Uh, yeah. And uh, there were all kinds of legends about people who reached the mountains. It, you know, the, the Ring of Mountains had the little volcano and all in, in one of them. And no, there, there was. It's actually, if you were careful, you could tell that if you drove in a straight line far enough, you ended up back where you started. <laughs> it was It was what they call finite but unbounded. Yeah. So the you know eventually the landscape was just a, it was a checkerboard basically, and if you were really careful mapping it and you avoided getting killed while you were exploring it by the bad guys, then you could eventually tell that it was a limited little landscape of these polygons and shit. Uh, but they were in fixed locations, and if you drove too far, you just drove off this edge and back onto the other side mm -hmm. of the... Just like you did in any of the two-dimensional games of the day. A lot of them worked the same way. You go off the this side of the screen, you would come back over here. Well, it was you know the same thing, except from the first-person perspective. So it wasn't quite as obvious that that's what was happening. Uh, so it's you know, yeah, it's like things. If your arm was long enough, you could reach all the way around the world and tap yourself on the back. So yeah, and then it's like the head fuck of like when you finally realize the Earth isn't flat and you it's a sphere and you can come back, <laughs> and then you find out that you're one planet in a solar system, and then it's like oh now we broke out of like the the hamster wheel and it's like, <laughs> but not really because now there's an edge to the universe and it's either goes around and around and around or. There's mm -hmm. another one, but again, it, it goes, and then you have to walk it out and go, what would even be the point of finding it? Let's say there was an edge. Okay. Yeah. You hit the edge of what? Of everything. So that means that that's yeah. nothing. And you got to remember it, it, even in the sixties, there were a couple of Star Trek episodes that dealt with the edge of the galaxy. 
Oh, really? As if there was such a thing. Yeah. Uh, so it was like, there is. well, but it's not a wall with an energy yeah, yeah, field yeah. that you can't pass through in your starship. So it was uh, really, it was only in the 19th century that we started to appreciate exactly how many stars there are and how far apart they were from one another. And then it was only in the 20th century that we started to realize that there were galaxies other than the Milky Way and how many of them there are and how far they are apart from one another. Uh, and a lot of what we know about the scale of the universe has only been learned in the last few decades. The exact size of the universe. I remember when I was uh, in college, it was still like, well, we believe the universe is between 10 and 20 billion light, you know, the hub, you know, between 10 and 20 billion light years. Their arguments point at either thing. And it wasn't until they did the satellite microwave survey of the background radiation, they were able to pin it down to 13.6 billion light years. Decimal point. <laughs> yeah. A decimal point. I mean, hey. seriously. <laughs> hey. Not 0.7, 0.6. So, uh, you know, things like that, you know, it's like they're still working stuff out. We didn't find out until a couple of years ago where all of the platinum and gold and uranium came from. Which collisions between neutron stars. Yeah. And and we only found out about that because of the gravity wave detection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. That was yeah, I was gonna I was gonna say that. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, it, it it's you know, we we think, you know, I mean it's it's kind of funny to think, yeah, it's like, yeah, we laugh at these guys. They were so naive in the nineteenth century, they were gonna shut down the patent office because everything had been discovered. And you know, it's and like we're such stupid pigs right now. <laughs> I mean yeah that's what it is is yeah we're such we yeah it's almost like it's almost like the universe computer can like cool down it gives us like a new thing to go chew on like maybe we've been so obsessed with like finding the wall of the universe because like we couldn't leave the earth anyway we were just stuck and it's like here's some rockets now it's like go play with this stop bothering your like your mother and i go play with the rockets and now we're like mars and it's like <laughs> that'll that we'll chew on that for a century we'll get to pluto and we'll set up a, and then we'll be like new star and then once and then you know eons in the future once we flesh it all out there will be like another big discovery and it'll be like in here is universe two you know mm. and then yeah, it's i don't it, think it, the it's... I don't think the point is to fi to find the physical. I think there's, and I don't know if that's the purpose of like meditation or consciousness, but I feel like that's not the Excel spreadsheet. Is the point is not to find the edge of it. It's to use the Excel spreadsheet to do something that is greater than yeah. just finding the the. It's to map things and make predictions, and it's so much more intricate and complex than just finding the bottommost cell that. You almost have to wonder, like, I don't think the purpose is to find the farthest star. I think there's something. Although they did find the farthest star a few weeks ago. Shut the fuck up, Roger. <laughs> what? It, what is it? What did it no, they up? found the, fur the furthest individual star that they've ever observed. It's like 10, you know, 10 billion light years away. It's it's some particularly bright thing that's off on its own outside of a galaxy. The star in the universe. <laughs> well, I remember... <laughs> the most distant star in the universe was earlier this year. Yeah, it's only a it's only a couple months ago. Mm -hmm. Um, that's yeah, that's what you said. Twelve point nine billion years. 
I don't know why I'm surprised at that because like we know the <laughs> yeah it would have to be. I do remember the large the the farthest ever galaxy was Z N something. I just remember that. Yeah, well, they keep they're going to be extending that for a while, especially now that they got the Webb telescope up because it's an infrared telescope. So it's actually meant to look further into the redshifted stuff. So they're going to find some new fucking barrier and uh, some new (laughs) it's going to go forever. And like, spoiler alert, it keeps going. Like, I understand that. And I'm not trying to be the whole we might as well shut down the patent office. Like, no, obviously go out and, and discover and that's like the beauty of like existence or whatever but like a spoiler alert it keeps going like uh in yeah. ten thousand years a, it, we found the edge of the multi multiverse and it'll be like yeah what'd you think it would just it was it was not gonna yeah it will turn out our entire universe is a particle and a great big void full of other particles yeah they've been saying that universe. since the 60 people have been saying that the, the ancients have been saying that since they discovered mushrooms at ten thousand years ago yeah we're a particle and a particle in a universe that goes forever shut the fuck up like uh now here's a here's a good one for you think about this okay the universe is turing complete it's turing complete uh-huh because only a Turing complete device can emulate another Turing complete device. And any Turing complete device can emulate any other Turing complete device. That's from Alan Turing, right out of computable numbers. Okay. Well, if it's possible to build a computer out of matter, and then that means that the universe itself must be Turing complete because it can emulate a device. Uh... That is Turing complete. But even then, it's like, <laughs> it's like, and so what are the implications that like you still like my dryer is still making my apartment humid? You know, like there's, that's like the come down of like LSD. That could be a whole th- that, that that whole mechanism could be a transistor in something because your your window fogs up. But nonetheless, <laughs> it is still fucking annoying. So like that's that's the problem with like mushrooms and LSD or even meditation. You come down from just this beautiful like. Oh, like we are one, and there is no beginning and no end. There is just joyful experience. Like, well, see, that's where soft errors come from in computers. Like, down in the I... down in the down in the silicon, somewhere in those billions of transistors, there's a transistor that has a little guy living at it who keeps getting woke up by the thunder when something sends it a signal, and he just keeps going, "Stop bothering me." <laughs> It goes, but that's the thing is you, when you have the beautiful revel, like it's, it's all just, it's so wonderful. And then it's like, but there's kind of still, and that doesn't mean it's all useless. Like eventually, you know, when someone did originally create the internet, I'm sure there's some asshole that was like, okay, but I still have to go to work. And it's like, well, no, give it seven decades. You'll be able to work from your apartment. Like there are real implications to that. Like, no, this is, cha- you know, the first person to fly. It was like, it's still a novelty, but it will change your life eventually. Some things are so far away that it's almost, it really is almost nothing more than like a novel thing to look at. You're just, it's like a commercial or like a setting sun. You're like, oh, they they pushed the edge of the microwave background back by a billion years. You're like, cool. <laughs> I still got Dale in 15 minutes. Still got to talk to Dale. Like it's still, <laughs> you still have to just do your thing. How, how does this affect the way that you aim your AR-15? It doesn't. And they would shoot me for asking that. <laughs> um, I just, that, but that's the thing. It's like, it, 
there is almost a beauty to that, you know? It's you're still like the stars can be twinkling, but if the Titanic's sinking, it's like yeah, the stars are beautiful. But, but we're gonna else, we're gonna not, be dead real quick. Uh, it'd be nice not to be appreciating that from the frozen North Atlantic. Yeah, but it's I don't know. Isn't that another weird thing though? Maybe is that a computer thing? Where, I mean, there are like multiple reports, not just from the Titanic, but also like the Lusitania, um, what of whatever sister ships were nearby. People were like captains and people it were. Was- they're saying that it was the single calmest ocean they'd ever seen in their lives. And this wasn't just some dipshit like me who'd never been on a boat. And I'm some like knuckle dragger from Ireland. It's like, oh, look, you know, you just look at the fucking ocean. Yeah. Well, sometimes that happens. I mean, it was uh, but, I, I, actually well, the uh, next quote over was the Carpathia. Well, well yeah, yeah, yeah. 9-11, though, they called it severe clear because it's such a rare. It's not just blue sky. It's like look at look up severe clear. There's act. Yeah. It was actually like veteran pilots had been like, I saw this once in my life forty four years yeah. ago or something. So is there something that happens there? Is it like a sort of the ocean like withdraws before the tsunami hits? I don't know, but I I will tell you an interesting. I had an interesting experience myself because I told as I told you I went to Maine myself about twelve, thirteen years ago. And uh, one of the things we did was we toured the island where the ox breed. And uh, they told us that if it was possible, they would send us on a launch from the, you know, because it's like 20 miles offshore. And uh, they would send us on a launch so we could actually get on the island and visit the researchers. And they have the blinds where we'd be able to get in and observe the birds really stupidly close to to Mm -hmm. their nests and all. But they, they said we can't. We can't be sure because if the weather is too rough, this is the North Atlantic, okay, then we won't be able to launch the launch. We won't be able to dock. We got there, and the ocean was as smooth as a swimming pool on a calm day. And we just sailed over, stepped off the launch onto the island. They have these little boardwalk walkways that they put between the, uh, the blinds. I mean, we had the ox literally coming up to the blind and looking at us mm. through the okay, and uh, the on the on the trip back, the guide said this was the uh, the calmest that he had ever seen the ocean <laughs> while doing those tours. But that's for that tour. <laughs> Like, is there something about that, though? Like, is it just a coincidence? Because it's it's one thing if you and I say that. It's another thing when a professional says that, right? Because if we have a, a beautiful experience, we might say, oh, no, that was, you know, that was the calmest I'd ever seen in the ocean. It's like, no, that's just the day you met your wife. And so you remember it beautifully, right? And that's that's a great thing. I'm not trying to put that down. But, it, like, it's when, like, a, a veteran is like, no, I remember that. That was the wildest thing I'd ever seen. So you almost have to wonder, like, is that the computer, like, calming down before the big chaotic number crunch of like simulating the Titanic or 9-11 and like the human trauma that goes with it. I mean, what, like, what is that? Yeah. There, there are a lot of weird, weird outs like that. I mean, we talked about a few of them in the woo episode, I think uh, when we were talking about how that, that phenomenon might work, Uh, you know, because well, like another one is, is about is the universe making it up as it goes along as we get further out. You know, every you know for a while in the early days of space exploration, every time we would target a new 
world, yeah. the first mission would, would fail. And then the first mission that succeeded return data that was like so boring and uninteresting that yeah, a lot don't of look people further. would just say, don't, go, don't bother trying again. And then you get to the one where the universe has obviously just said, fuck it. And it's just Here's spectacular a world. beyond belief. Yeah. It, 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 it turns out to this day, they say that the area of Mars that the Mariner flyby finally managed to return images from on the first flyby that worked was literally the most boring section of Mars's surface. Yes, don't look any deeper here. There's nothing to look at. It's the only part of the surface of Mars that looks that much like the moon. Yeah. Yeah. It's... And then when then when we sent another one, it's like, okay, fuck it. We got to build a planet here. Yeah. And then it's, I think we- And we're going to make it an interesting one. Yeah. And no, I think you and I joked about it too. And it's like, and once you make it, it's like, no, now you're going to go- you know, yeah, you begged your mom for your favorite dinner. She finally made it. It's like you're fucking eating, right? Yeah, and Mars we, is finally we, like, you know what? Y'all getting rockets, and you're going to Mars. You're gonna glue that thing together with sticky tape and staples. You're gonna and... get there. You know what? <laughs> we, you wanted us to make a moon. Fuck it. You're going to the moon. You are going to the. You're getting in a fucking tin thimble, and we're launching yeah. you on top of five million pounds of hydrazine. You're going. You've begged for it. <laughs> We have put we have put it on the yeah. table. We have provided. You're not leaving this table until you've eaten it. <laughs> it is almost kind of like that, right? So we finally, yeah, yeah, and you know, it's like the the outer planets were a similar thing. The 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 pioneers, Pluto, yeah, Pluto. were kind of like, yeah. Well, Pluto was a special case because uh, we missed. Pluto was supposed to be part of the original flybys. The voyagers we're going to do but they didn't make the launch date to include it in the window uh so we had to have new horizons to sort of finally complete that the picture with it and of course it had to be spectacular right because you know we have a whole solar system now it's yeah. like we made this thing for you with the voyagers and you didn't get to it so we're just yeah. like <laughs> I think that's what it's going to be now is like we're we're not going to get any great images from like the web telescope. They're going to be like, no, 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 no. You begged for Mars. We gave it to you. We have now made out to Pluto and you still have only gone on the moon. Like we are not getting anything new. You are playing with the fucking planets that we have given you. You are. I would have killed to have these planets when I was just a human. Like you're going to go enjoy these and you're going to like it. God damn it. That's why they that's why they halted the Cuban Missile Crisis. The aliens were like, no, 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 no. We just made the moon. Yeah, you are going to the moon by the end of this decade. We built the sets. Everything is in place. It's like, no, no these nukes. guys have to. We, we want an it. audience. We, we went to a lot of trouble. They have to see this now. You're, there are no nukes. <laughs> we'll, we'll allow you to shoot JFK, but there will be no nuclear weapons. <laughs> that's what it is right now. So maybe that's the real that's the real limitations of like Ukraine, Russia is like this is so beyond America. This is the curators being like, you, uh, 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 uh. we you have you have just we you have just fucking we built these things. You're not launching shit. You ain't doing nothing. Yeah. Oh, and boy, are they yeah, the? I mean, the Russians are just getting their asses kicked, and they don't seem to be able to do a force correction. B-21 Raider unveiled yesterday, the new stealth bomber, the successor to the B-2. Yep. 
which looks exactly like the B2. It's just smaller, which they said it was going to be, and I knew it was going to be that, and I was still let down, but <laughs> it's the new one. It doesn't have to be as big because the bombs are smaller. <laughs> That's true. Well, it's also supposed to have human and AI capabilities, which really means they put a seat in it to calm your fears, but it's going to be AI. It's going to be a drone. Yeah. Yeah. Real, real, real bold move, America. Let's make something that is undetectable by radar and by eyes and give it nuclear weapons and have it think on its own. Like, What could possibly go wrong? All right. You want to let it out? <laughs> this is all right. Okay. Fuck it. Well, look at all the drone shit going on in Ukraine. And a lot of yeah. that is even consumer level stuff. I mean, look at all the videos of like from a consumer level drone, something, you know, you or I could go to Best Buy and buy this drone, dropping a grenade through the freaking moon roof of a car with a bunch of people inside it and stuff yeah. like that, or through the hatch of a tank. <laughs> it's it's like, no, nowhere is safe. No. <laughs> and they're using them to target the artillery. This has never been done in war before. Oh, yeah. They send they send this seven hundred dollar drone out, with has GPS and all this, and it takes pictures and it's like, oh, there's where their artillery is, and back you know thirty miles away. Now instead of just aiming blind, you're like, oh, coordinates. Yeah. Oh, and it's it's like. Sucks to be if you if you're standing next to that other gun that the drone yeah. found, you know, and that that's been going right. That's the Ukrainians have been doing that more than the Russians. The the now what the Russians have been doing is more of this, you know, almost like uh, V ones, you know, yeah. these, these Iranian drones. You know, it's like they're just like they're, only they're more effective than the V ones are because they can actually pilot themselves and navigate. But it's basically a V one, you know. Yeah. It's it's uh a self-guided airplane with a bomb on it that flies itself into your target. Uh, everything old is new again. Yeah, I don't understand any of it any better than I did a thousand episodes ago. That's one thing I've really learned. Is like I have no fucking idea what's going on. I don't give a shit. I don't even care. But, Roger, we got to wrap this one up. I got tail in a couple minutes, and... um We'll resume, I believe, next Sunday. My parents might be in town, so I don't know. I will keep you up to date on that. But right. we'll be back at it soon enough. Mr. Roger Williams, much love, brother. Thank you, as always. I'll send this to you when it's up.